Is it is it recording or is that? Yep. The red, oh, I'm sorry. The red thing yep. is on. Okay. Do I need to start that again? Or nope, not? that's okay. I'll just cut that out. All right. My sermon today is how great is your faith? Faith is often seen as a passive action, one that comes in difficult times when acceptance of the way things are, are like terminal illness or death in the family is called for. And there are valid times for such faith. However, this kind of passive faith, faith can also be an excuse for not doing anything especially in the face of great social injustice. In situations like this, the claim of passive accepting faith is bad faith, if it's any faith at all. The Canaanite woman in this week's scripture lesson demonstrated a proactive faith. Her active persistence, humility, and wit won the day. And it earned her the singular distinction in Matthew's gospel as a person of great faith. She came from the country to the north of Palestine, a country hostile to the Jews. She was presumably married, and she had at least one child. But that's all that we know about her. We don't know whether she was a good woman or a bad one. We don't know her name. All we know of her is that in this single encounter with Jesus, he spoke to her this four-word epitaph, great is your faith. Only four words, but they are enough to make her immortal. We can trust these words as being true because the expert on faith spoke them. Jesus searched for faith as a gem collector would find jewels. He did not always find it in his disciples. On no occasion that we know of did he ever say to Peter, James, and John, great is your faith. More often he spoke these words to them, you of little faith. On only one other occasion did Jesus praise a person for their faith. Interestingly, it was a Roman soldier stationed in Capernaum. We regard this Canaanite woman with more than just an academic interest. She awakens us a feeling of admiration, even envy, because she stands where most of us would like to stand. What faithful Christian would not want it said of him or her, great is your faith? What is faith anyway? According to the Bible, faith is not a religion. It is a relationship. It is a living, dynamic interaction between us and God. Faith is our response to God's love, which is demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of a son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is to accept the fact that life is a gift from God and that we are all sinners who stand in the need of a Savior. 
It is to recognize that as redeemed persons, we are called by our baptism to be Christ's body, the church here on earth. It is to trust God in all of life's circumstances, from our joys to our sorrows, that God has a purpose for our lives. And whether we live or whether we die, we do it unto the Lord. Our spiritual journey of faith is a lifelong process, and each person travels that journey in his or her own way. At many points along the road of life, there are many experiences of God waiting to be discovered by the person open to them. The moment of discovery may occur as we contemplate the wonder of creation or when we discover a nugget of truth from God's word. It may come to us in a conversation of a friend or through life-shattering experiences that forces us to look beyond ourselves. It may come to us during times of worship and prayer, or even in that moment of peace and joy that is available to us, even in times of pain and turmoil. For each person, it is different. Yet in the moment of discovery, we encounter a little bit of God's meaning and eternal plan for our lives. Our scripture lesson this morning is a remarkable story because Jesus complimented a Canaanite woman saying, great is your faith. How does one qualify for this praise? What does one have to do? To answer these questions, let us take a little longer look at her story. First, we can say of this Canaanite woman that she was willing to cross barriers. Her faith consisted mainly in the fact that she turned to Jesus for help. That was quite remarkable, however, when you remember that she was a Gentile, a Canaanite, and therefore a traditional enemy of the Jews. They had been despised for centuries. It was as real and deep an enmity as exists today between many Arabs and Jews. Faith still consists of turning to Christ for help, and barriers today still must be crossed. There's the barrier of time. More than 2,000 years, which, barring the sudden invention of a time machine, is a wide gulf. Jesus lived then, and we live now. We think it's such a different ballgame today. How can Jesus possibly help us? After all, there's the barrier of culture. A generation that tra travels faster than the speed of sound may well wonder, how can I get help from a Palestinian Jew who traveled on a donkey? Can Jesus even understand our problems today? There's the barrier of pride. Am I willing to get beyond myself and admit that I cannot handle every situation that comes up in my life? And are we able to cross the barrier that says, I don't need you, Jesus. I am doing quite well all by myself. 
It seems clear that this lady turned to Christ for help that she knew little about Jesus. She first addressed him by simply saying, sir. And then unsure if she had given the proper title, she added, son of David. Undoubtedly, she had heard of the great work and powers of Jesus, and she was willing to put aside her pride and cry out for help, have pity on me. But that was her faith and the extent of her understanding of whom Jesus was, and it was enough. There was no great exercise of intellect involved. She didn't know any dogmas or creeds. Her faith simply existed in the fact that she came to know Jesus, came to Jesus for help in a situation which she had exhausted all her own resources. Secondly, we can say of her that she refused to be put off. This woman had three strikes against her. She's a woman. She's a Gentile. And she has a demon-possessed daughter. None of these things won first-century Jewish popularity contests. This Gentile woman comes and bows at Jesus' feet, begging him to cast the demons out of her daughter. Jesus' response is interesting. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. He makes reference to being the Messiah for the Jews as God's children, over and above the dogs as the Gentiles were scornfully called. Perhaps he is testing her faith. Perhaps he is setting up a chance to level the playing field between the Jews and the Gentiles. Either way, the woman responds with a humble spirit, and instead of being defensive, she is contrite. She might be a cultural dog, but she will gladly accept that position if it means being fed what she seeks. Jesus replies to her, Woman, what great faith you have. Be it as you wish. So moved was Jesus by her faith that from that moment her daughter was restored to health. My friends, how great is your faith? I believe that there are four steps that we need to take in order for us to grow in our faith. First, acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ for our own lives as we seek his purpose in our daily lives. Two, make a decision to discover our spiritual gifts. God has given each of us gifts whether it is teaching, witnessing, helping, serving, and meeting practical needs. Whatever our gifts, we need to use them in God's service. Three, spend time in prayer, reflection, and Bible study, and other studies. 
In those quiet times with God, listen for the message of the Holy Spirit in you. Fourth, seek ways to offer up every aspect of our lives, including our career, to God's use. God doesn't want a church full of pastors and missionaries as important as these people are. God has an eternal purpose in mind for farmers, factory workers, teachers, civic leaders, housewives, routine, retirees, and the list goes on and on. You can find creative ways to express God's presence in your life through your work and through your leisure. And fifth, support generously as you are able your church and other worthy charities that seek to make the world a better place to live. How great is your faith? The question reminds me of a story of a man who is crossing a desert in the days of the pioneers. He ran into trouble and was dying of thirst when he spotted a pump near an abandoned shack. He had no water to prime the pump, but he noticed a jug of water near the pump with a note attached to it. It read, there's just enough water in this jug to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. This well has never gone dry, it continues, even in the worst of times. Pour the water in the top of the pump and pump the handle quickly. After you've had a drink, refill this jug for the next man who comes along. What would the man dying of thirst do? To follow the instructions and to prime the pump without first taking a drink would be an exercise of the kind of faith of which the Bible speaks. Biblical faith requires that one stake his or her life on the truth of the promise. If the man follows the instructions, he takes a chance of pouring all the water out and getting none of it to drink if the pump fails. So he must trust that the message is right. He must act in belief without first receiving and must trust in the truth of the promise. So it was with the Canaanite woman. Such faith is seldom easy. Sometimes it's hard to practice the Christian faith. Sometimes it's dangerous to turn the other cheek. Sometimes we don't feel like forgiving the wrongs done to us. Sometimes we don't want to give sacrificially of our treasure when we have so many other things that we want to buy for ourselves. Sometimes we don't want to spend the time witnessing our faith to others or serving the church in some ways. We would rather do our own thing in our own way. Yet Jesus calls us to follow him. Sometimes we get tired of trying to speak for God in a world where people would rather be comforted by lies than challenged by truth. As human beings, we are at all times tempted to put behind us the risk of discipleship and wander off with the faithless crowds. 
If, however, we take that leap of faith and make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, we are transformed. We will be like the new creation that St. Paul spoke of, about where the old has passed away and everything has become new. Where Jesus Christ is Lord, the despised and the rejected of the world find themselves loved and accepted. Where Jesus Christ is Lord, there's the joy of serving others. Where Jesus Christ is Lord, people learn the joy of sacrificial giving. Where Jesus Christ is Lord, people no longer get what they deserve and deserve what they get, but grace and forgiveness abound. Where Jesus Christ is Lord, not even sin and death can defeat us, for we have the abundant life in his name. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, and our Lord shares his victory with us. In a great cathedral, there is a statue of Christ. A person who stands before the statue will be disappointed with the ugliness of Christ's face. It is rough and strangely shaped. But on the base of the statue is an inscription, kneel down and look up. A person who obeys these instructions sees something entirely new. The face of Christ is not ugly anymore. In fact, it is attractive and gentle. What makes the difference? It is the position of the observer. The sculptor carved the faith in such a way that its true beauty could only be seen by those who bow before it. So it is with us. When we bow before the Lord in honor and obedience, we will know that he's the son of God who died for us while we were yet sinners. We will know that he is our comfort and guide each and every day of our lives. We will know that in him life does not end at the grave, but continues throughout eternity. As we gather at the table of the Lord this morning, we are ever mindful of our need of God's grace through the elements of bread and juice. My prayer for each of us is that through this sacrament, the power of God may instill in each one of us the faith not only to know who we are, but more importantly, whose we are. For Jesus gave himself to us that we may be faithful servants to the world for which he died and rose again. Praise be to God. Amen.